More cuts proposed from Councillor Knack. What will we see next? This week, we've been here before. Flashbacks to all sorts of things that seem to always come up, but never really get solved. Don Iveson has a five-point plan to hold taxes to inflation that includes having the suburbs pay their way. Plus, the Feast event might not make the cut for funding this year. Edmonton explores more sanctuary city implications. And administration still seems to be running the city irrespective of council's oversight. Boy, have we been here. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally. We're here in episode six, and without further ado, let's just jump right into the rapid-fire events from this past week. Say bye to the Hyatt Hotel. The Quarters Hotel lost its Hyatt Place branding this week. Coincidentally, it also failed a health report due to dead pigeons. Dead pigeons, however, are slightly more lively than the remainder of the Quarters redevelopment. The city had to spend $47,000 and close down the funicular for glass replacement due to vandalism. The repair fixed three panes of glass and was set to take two days. We really tried to make a joke about this one, but the cost is a good enough joke for us. Meanwhile, 3,331 traffic violations were issued by manned police patrols during a 24-hour period last week. 75% were solely related to speed, and most enforcement was done in playground zones near schools. In addition, around 430 photo radar tickets were issued in playgrounds in the same period. When asked for comment, Constable Moo from the EPS said, Yeah, that photo radar is a cash cow. They issue way too many tickets. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This week, we're happy to tell you about the Well-Endowed Podcast, produced by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The show shares stories about donors and what inspires their generosity. The latest episode, called Investing in People, features Arlene Dickinson talking about her journey as an entrepreneur and investor. The Well-Endowed Podcast is currently running a listener survey. You can fill that out at thewellendowedpodcast.com slash survey. So, Mac, there was a five-point plan this week released by Don Iveson. Uh, we're going to talk about this. There's a lot of meat to get into, but what's the overview of this plan? So, Don made a post, or Mayor Iveson made a post on his blog about the budget, and he said basically that he's heard loud and clear from Edmontonians and from the business community in particular that they don't want to see tax increases that are out of step with inflation. So he put forward these five points that he says will help keep the budget on track as we head into the budget discussions later this fall. We're going to go point by point, and I think we'll read the short points, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. So the first point is to roll back the subsidy on suburban growth. He says that city analysis shows that new suburban growth has been significantly subsidized by existing taxpayers, and especially businesses. It's time to use different tools to fairly allocate the costs of growth, such as rec centers, fire stations, and key roadways, without deeply impacting housing affordability. Have we ever heard someone say something like this before? Funny you should ask. I think we've both written about this before, actually, online. And it's certainly not a new idea. So it was interesting. It was the point of the five that probably got the most discussion this week online. Uh, The Infill Development Association of Edmonton tweeted that they support the approach and feel that infill is part of the answer. So no surprise there. And UDI, the Urban Development Institute, um, also tweeted about it and said, actually, mature neighborhoods are exponentially less dense than suburbs, create less tax revenue, and yet still get higher level of service. So they suggest that actually um, they're being subsidized by the suburbs. So that was the response. 
the thing is, we've had city reports for at least five, probably more years than that now, that make it very clear that new neighborhoods do not pay for themselves. We, as a city, have an imbalance. Whenever we build a new residential neighborhood, the tax base of that neighborhood doesn't cover the costs of building out that neighborhood. And so we need to continue to develop commercial areas, which is one of the big reasons why the city is continuing to annex new land. Uh, for example, the airport lands, which are mainly commercial, because the tax base there is higher. And so we are able to offset the imbalance with that higher commercial tax. It's a bit of a vicious cycle. We're addicted to sprawl. Yeah. And that's exactly what Mayor Iverson is saying. It's proportionally businesses are doing a lot of the subsidies because we need to court this new business to finance our drug addiction to suburban sprawl. So the thing is, are we going to see anything change as a result of this? I guess a good thing is that he's brought this up in the context of budget as opposed to a planning discussion. Mm -hmm. A city can say all they want to say and have any specific ideal, but the budget doesn't lie. Until you actually see numbers in the budget, your city doesn't actually believe what it's saying. I personally don't think we're going to see any material change whatsoever here. I think at budget time, we're going to ask for another report that says the same thing that every previous report has said, and we might get some more aggressive infill targets or various platitudes like that, but we're not going to see stuff like a hard cap on growth. We're not going to see stuff like higher tax rates for suburban communities. And we're not going to see stuff like new communities don't get fire stations. That's that's just not an option. As painful as it sounds, I think you're probably right in that it'll be easier for council to cut some other things that are going to lower the tax increase than to stop the addiction to sprawl. I'm hopeful, obviously, that we can do that. We can break away from this downward spiral and, and not spend so much and not continue growing out. But it's a lot easier to cut some other things. I wrote about this back in June. That was when David Staples was really pumping up the Prosperity Edmonton folks who were adamant that we wanted a 0% budget increase. And at that point, I run the, some of the numbers. There was a May 2011 report from the city of Edmonton that basically gave details of annual operating costs per hectare for new developments and the capital and operational costs for services over their entire period. What it all boiled down to is basically for every neighborhood after completion, so after you have all the capital costs accounted for, it's about $56,772 per hectare is what the city pays. What the city gets back over the entire period, it's about $35,000. So when you look at all the hectares that were developed between 2006 and 2016, we've taken out loans to build all these communities, and the total is around $304 million annually we're paying so that people in Rutherford and Summerside can live in single-family homes. We're talking about a $14, $13 million budget shortfall being the thing that breaks taxpayers' backs. $300 million annually, and it's only growing. This is the problem, and we haven't seen the discussion that it warrants. One of the things that Mayor Iveson linked to in his post was an update on the Inf Integrated Infrastructure Management Plan, which is a document that City Council uh, approved a number of years ago after the development of the most recent municipal development plan. And at the time, that document estimated that roughly $2.5 billion worth of infrastructure needed to be built going forward, looking at the way the city was going to grow over the next number of decades, and that developers would contribute 66% of that, and the city would contribute 34% of that. 
the thing that's interesting about this is that after two years, generally, the city will assume ongoing maintenance, rehabilitation, and an eventual replacement for the 66% that the, the, the developers built. So that's where that increasing cost over time comes from. That's why the city ends up paying so much for these new neighborhoods, because we end up having to do all of the maintenance. So we might not put the initial cost there to build it, but then we've got to support it over time. And this doesn't even include the incremental costs. Like, for example, we're talking about twinning Terwilliger Drive because of this massive explosion in suburban growth. Right. Those aren't included in neighborhood costs, but those are massive costs that eventually get amortized by the entire city and the tax base. There's very few communities in Edmonton that actually paid their way. Second point. Second point. Secure a new long-term funding deal with the province. So Mayor Iveson writes here that provincial infrastructure grants have been slashed, but our city keeps growing. Our growth is pivotal to the region and the province's economy, and we need a new deal with the province to cover those key infrastructure costs while lessening the property tax burden on Edmontonians that we just discussed. If only he had uh, Trump's insight to make a better deal. Does this point really mean anything to you? To me, this point is all about the city charter. So the council got an update on the city charter last week or the week before, and it basically said, you know, the first part, we accomplished some stuff, we we made some progress. The next part is all about funding. And it's really, from my point of view, you know, Mayor Iveson and council have been saying for a long time that the funding that they get from the province needs to be ongoing and more predictable. And that's what this point really speaks to. If you go back to all of our LRT developments Every time Edmonton wants to build an LRT, they have to get the feds in the province to commit to their proportion of paying for it. And of course, Mayor Iverson wants the provincial and federal portions to be larger than they've historically been. And this lack of certainty about funding, it's a problem. Uh, I don't know how the city sort of proposes to address it in its budget. Uh, pretty please... Uh, uncle province give me more money or actually maybe we'll spend a little bit more money to lobby the province that seems to be something they do recently i think this is a lot related to we've seen mayor Iveson come out very hard against doug ford over in ontario who basically after his election decided to have the number of city councillors in toronto during an election um all manner of unconstitutional right and not getting too much into ontario politics We've seen Don Iveson say this is really unacceptable and we need to address the autonomy of cities and what role city governance has in actually shaping the direction of our cities. And while good, it's good to talk about Doug Ford's real mishap over there, I think a lot of it is local political posturing because with the city charters, Edmonton and Calgary say we want to be independent, we want to have more powers than smaller communities, and this is just one part of that. Right. Point three. Uh, make cuts where services are no longer relevant or effective. I don't think we need to read any more of that. He's talking about the service review that the city is undergoing is going to evaluate the efficiency and efficacy of different services, and he's ready to start doing some cutting. So this program and service review has been ongoing for a little while now. Council first started talking about it in 2015. The city administration got a team together in 2016. And earlier this year, we got an update. Um, so in 2017... Approximately $925,000 was spent on the program and service review. And for that investment, administration was able to find $1.1 in savings. So that's pretty close to net zero, but a little bit more on the positive side. However, they had planned to spend $1.25 So if they had only found the $1.1 in cuts, then we would have lost money. And it's also not clear precisely what those cuts and savings are. Right. Are those administrative savings where it's just 
two people don't f- file the same report? Or is this actually a reduction in service that was deemed acceptable? Because if we are reducing our service levels and not saving money, that's a problem. That is a problem. The report says savings recommendations were implemented for the corporation. So there is a list now of the programs and services that are either in the queue for review or yet to be reviewed. And most of them are still yet to be reviewed. This, I sort of feel, is antithetical to what council was hoping for the service review. I feel like politically what council was hoping for is the service review gets this big list of services that come budget time. Council can just take a red marker and start drawing X's. Right. The service review is turning out to be a lot more like council's 2% initiative, where it's just the city is instructed to review itself and then find savings. And council really doesn't get the political score there. Nor do Edmontonians. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that feel like we have grown the number of services that the city is responsible for, and we could see some of those be cut completely. And just finding some existing efficiencies, while not a bad thing, also doesn't give taxpayers or voters that satisfaction. The fourth point is to protect the investments we've made in our core infrastructure. Uh, Mayor Iverson mentions, in the 1990s, we didn't invest in our roads and sewers and our city fell behind. We must continue with our support of neighborhood renewal, investments in the Yellowhead Trail, and expanding our LRT network to keep Edmonton moving. So when I read this, I'm kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. What do you think? Well, my take on this is this point doesn't really have any sort of value in terms of budget. This is just Iveson hedging his political bets because we have one group, Prosperity Edmonton, pushing really hard for zero and Iveson countered and said, look, we can do inflation, but that's the best we're going to be able to do. If Iveson doesn't mention things like Yellowhead Trail, like maintaining core services, the question gets raised of, well, if you're performing all these cuts, what do you need this tax increase for? And this is what it's for. This is for Iveson's justification of we need to keep the tax increase with inflation. I find it really interesting that Yellowhead Trail was explicitly mentioned in there because Yellowhead Trail is a very expensive operation that one could argue might be delayable. Uh, That's probably a bigger discussion than for today, but we're seeing Don making very clear that Yellowhead Trail is a priority that's not on the chopping block or on the delay. So the last point in Mayor Arvison's five-point plan is limit new spending. He wrote, there will be many new spending asked for council to consider. Any new spending must deliver long-term efficiencies and a return on investment for Edmonton taxpayers. Cool. Yeah, Uh, I mean... That makes sense. Yeah, on a budget, the coded language he's using here is it's not going to be things like typically you debate at budget where it's do we fund Nuit Blanche or do we delay it for a year? It's going to be the bigger items like suburban rec centers. Right. Are we going to build these because are we seeing enough ROI to warrant those investments when he argues we have to tighten the belt and make things easier? Okay, last thing on Mayor Iveson's five-point plan. We kind of feel like he stole Councillor Knack's thunder a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So Councillor Knack came out this week with this bold proposal for $63 million worth of cuts. And Iveson jumps up and says, you know, actually, let's just solve the suburban growth problem and completely limit new spending. And this is weird because Knack and Iveson are both on the progressive wing of council. They're the people you see arguing for reduced speed limits, for sanctuary cities. And generally for spending money on things. Yeah, money. Go figure. But we're seeing them loudly talking about cuts, 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 and service reductions. 
And meanwhile, on the other side, you have the Katarinas and Zadix and Nichols who have made pips here and there, but are quiet on the media front. Maybe they have this huge hydrogen bomb that they can drop on council and recommend a couple billion dollars worth of cuts. Or maybe we're going to see this weird sort of situation at budget where the voting blocks are reversed and we have the more conservative councillors arguing against cuts. It sets up a very interesting budget discussion over the next couple of months. But it's not all about budget today. Uh, We got some more stuff to talk about. Only a little bit, though. Not much is going to happen either this week or in the upcoming weeks, except really budget. That's going to be the focus. You're going to hear us talk more about budget, unfortunately. Or fortunately. We're going to make it exciting. We'll try our best. Sanctuary Cities came up at committee, and this is a continuation of some previous discussions about Sanctuary Cities. All it means is if you're undocumented immigrant or you don't have the correct papers to live in Edmonton, stuff like a bylaw ticket isn't going to get you deported. You don't have to worry about calling the police if you see someone breaking into your home because we're not going to kick you out of the city just for calling bylaw. What committee approved this week that's new is an access without fear policy. So there will now be a city policy that basically says what you just described. It's similar to some of the sanctuary city policies that have been approved in the United States. And committee approved it three to one. Only Councillor Katarina voted against it. And his rationale was just that he wanted more information. Whether that's actually wanting more information or giving a justification for voting no, hard to say. But we're seeing generally the sanctuary city. I expect it probably will go forward. There's not a lot objectionable. City administration even said in regards to Councillor Katarina's concerns, which were about transit pass usage, that the effect would be negligible. This is mostly a uh, a virtue signaling exercise. Right. It's not a huge problem in Edmonton. Right. One thing that actually affects Edmonton a little more materially, at least 25,000 of us every year, is the feast. Feast? Feast. Feast. We looked it up before the show and I did not remember. Go ahead, Mac. So this is an event that uh, has extreme sports. It's come to Edmonton now for three years. Um, The city put in $1.2 million. The goal for this year was to get 100,000 people to attend. Unfortunately, we only got 25,000. Now, the good part about it is that 4,000 of those people came from outside of the city, more than 80 kilometers away. So that's encouraging and that we're attracting people to the city. But overall, for the amount of money that councils put in, they're feeling like they've not gotten the return that they thought they would get and that organizers uh, kind of promised. Now, maybe you could argue the weather was a bit unfair and there were some other factors that resulted in the lower attendance. But in a tough budget season councillors are maybe not so keen to put another 1.2 million into the event. Yeah, this is what budget is. It's going to be hard discussions. And $1.2 million, it's not nothing to fund an event. It's different when we have discussions about accidental beach where, oh, the weather might have affected it. But that's permanent infrastructure. This is $1.2 million to put on an event once per year. And 25000 is a pretty low turnout, all things considered. Compared to some of the other events, like Heritage Festival, that get hundreds of thousands of people that attend, um, 25000 is a pretty small number. The one thing we have to be worried and concerned about, especially with budget upcoming and the tightening of the belt, is if we have too many of these come up. Because Edmonton is a globally renowned festival city. And part of that is encouraging our niche and less attended festivals. If we sort of homogenize our festivals to its heritage days and its fringe and it's the uh, flying canoe, well, we become less exciting of a city and less... 
And there's something to be said about investing in these events to allow them to grow, right? So over time, hopefully it will become more successful. And that was actually Councillor Knack's suggestion that perhaps the city could come up with some some sort of funding formula where its contribution would be reduced over the years as the event grows and becomes more sustainable on its own. More cuts proposed from Councillor Knack. What will we see next? Another thing that came up this week uh, was a transportation revolution. Whew, that one sounds exciting. Smart transportation action plan was that discussion at council this week there this includes things like smart traffic signals electric charging stations for electric cars we've got new electric buses coming into the fleet next year and of course in november there's a self-driving shuttle pilot that's going to be taking place in the city of edmonton so smart transportation you know it's like the stuff in your house if you connect it to the internet you can call it a smart toaster or something Uh, it's a little bit of a buzzword here the point of the discussion this week was to approve some pilot projects that are going to go ahead to hopefully give the city of edmonton and council a better understanding of what the impacts of some of these things might be now you and i both talked about this and it wasn't going to make the cut for the show because we said well you know it's a couple pilot projects whatever this isn't exciting the exciting part happened in the discussion Uh, where one of the committee members, good old Councillor John D. from Ward 3, said the following, that Alberta needs its residents to support oil and gas. Quote, I see nothing wrong with the status quo. We've been here before. Have we ever. Climate change isn't real, my dudes. (laughs) (laughs) The last item on the agenda for today is... A repeat of a previous item, we talked about the Grote Road Bridge and specifically the cycling connection on the Grote Road Bridge. For some history, the Grote Road Bridge, it's undergoing construction for the next three years. It's an active transportation route and cyclists have been told to dismount and walk or face a $100 fine. That sign went up. Councillor Knack. He's an avid cycler. I see him cycling to City Hall quite often downtown, actually. Yeah, he brought up that, you know, maybe this sign isn't the best solution. And he was hoping to get a response from administration on why it got put up. Well, they gave a response this week. And the response was not so satisfying? No, it it really wasn't. So Councillor Knack, uh, he mentioned that maybe just having a sign on the bridge would be more effective that basically says cyclists yield to pedestrians if uh, you're coming up on pedestrians slow down and maybe stop and let the pedestrian pass so that no injuries occur right it all makes sense this is in stark comparison to last year the jasper ave imagine jasper ave pilot uh, it caused an average delay over the entire strip to drivers of about two minutes the interesting part was the city did surveys on drivers and said all of them responded overwhelmingly. Oh, it feels like 10 minutes of delay. This Grote Road Bridge, if you are a cyclist and you're forced to dismount, that's four minutes of delay. So 20 Edmonton minutes worth of delay for cyclists. It's a non-trivial amount. And if there's no pedestrians on the bridge, that's 20 minutes of Edmonton delay for essentially nothing. City officials responded to NAC's request that cyclists just yield by saying, Allowing cyclists to yield or roll at a walking pace on what's classified as a sidewalk would co- would require a bylaw change. Is that true? Well, for some definition of true, it might be in a different universe. The answer is no. I'd like to read from section 50A of bylaw 5590, which says, quote, A person riding a bicycle on a sidewalk or bicycle path shall yield the right of way to slower moving people. Wait a minute. So our bylaw already says what Councillor Knack was proposing. It does, doesn't it? 
Now, there is some sort of leeway for discussion here because that bylaw also says that a person shall not ride a bicycle on a sidewalk. Wait a minute. So the bylaw contradicts itself. Shocking. I'm shocked about this. Yes. The bylaw is contradictory. It says you shan't ride a bicycle on a sidewalk. You can only ride it on multi-use paths. But then it also says... If you do ride on a sidewalk, yield to pedestrians. Yeah. So one could argue that, okay, it's not appropriate for cyclists to yield to pedestrians on a sidewalk. That's that's not allowed. This location was a shared-use path. It stopped being a shared-use path when administration put up the dismount and walk sign or pay a fine. So administration created this problem, said, we can't solve this problem because of the constraints that we've created, and we're not interested in listening to council's direction on this, we're just going to continue, and they announced actual ticketing will start. This is the epitome of administration running the city. A councillor is actively saying, look, I want to do something different, and admin says, no. I mean, to be fair, council generally has to have a vote 7-6 in favor of something in order for administration to follow it. But in this case, as you say, they created the problem in the first place. They could just take the sign down. They could just take the sign down. They could put up a yield sign. Everything could be fine. At this point, it's clear that they're not going to, and they're going to force the issue. Councillor Knack has seemed reticent to bring this up on council because he believes it's too small of an issue, is what he mentioned. Right. I think it's because it's politically unpalatable. Go into the comment section of any news article about this. They hate bike lanes. They hate bike lanes, they hate cyclists, and they don't think they should be allowed anywhere. So... We're talking about budget time and every councillor needs all the political capital they have. They don't want to waste it on cyclists. So admin will continue to run the city. And at fines least for now. are here to stay. Fines are here to stay. The Alberta Podcast Network is on a mission to help Alberta-based podcasts reach larger audiences, to foster connections between podcasters, and to provide a unique marketing opportunity for business. That's why we're reading you this ad. This week, we'd like to tell you about a fellow member of the Alberta Podcast Network. We're going to talk about the Dave Berta Podcast, which is hosted by Dave Cornway and Ryan Hassman. Each episode, they discuss the latest news in Alberta politics. So, you know, pipelines, essentially. Check it out at daveberta.ca and look for other podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. But you're here listening to Speaking Municipally. Unfortunately, that's the end for today. You've got no more. That's all for this week. Speaking Municipally is a production of Taproot Edmonton. This week, we launched our newest roundup on health innovation, and it's sponsored by Health City. Edmonton has a unique opportunity with AI and all of the data from our single health region, AHS. And Catherine Gurkowski is chronicling all of the new developments for us in the roundup. So check out the Health Innovation Roundup for all the latest happening in the sector. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the podcast, wherever podcasts are sold, and send it to a friend, someone who doesn't know about politics in Edmonton. Until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.